To start off this morning, I just want to say thank you for all of you who are here on Time Change Sunday. And, and I'm not saying this in any kind of snarky way, because when I look at it, you know, when you have the choice to do something or not do something, it is 100% easier to not do something, right? So that all of you on this day after an hour less sleep and a gray kind of looks like it's going to be rainy Sunday morning for you to choose to do the something, um, I truly appreciate that. Now, today... Um, we're going to kind of move on to the next area of tension that we're going to be tackling. Um, and this is an area that all of us will face at some point or another if you are actually trying to be a Christian. And, and when I say that, I mean, if you are actually engaging with the scriptures, if you are trying to um, live out the things that Jesus says, if you're trying to speak with other people about your faith, particularly if you're speaking to people who don't share your faith, something will happen along the way that if you're honest with yourself, it will cause you to begin to wonder if this whole religious thing is, is really just a mechanism that we've all come up with to make life manageable. That, 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 and you wanna talk about an internal tension there's an internal tension that happens when you start dealing with the idea of, wait a minute, maybe the foundation that I've kind of built everything on, maybe that might not actually be right. What if it's not true? What if there's cracks that are starting to appear as you look at it? What if there are some things that, that aren't, are starting to, as you look at them more, they just kind of start to not line up? Maybe things kind of just don't make sense. Perhaps there's some questions that are arising and you can't find an answer to these questions. That's gonna cause some tension. And listen, this, you don't have to get very far in your spiritual journey to come across this thing. In fact, in fact, it has started with our children. And when I say that, here's what I mean. I mean, Every week we've got some poor sucker, I mean, some brave volunteer, <laughs> some servant of the Lord back there teaching our children and, and they find they have different stories that they tell and then they kind of discuss and try and draw a, 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 um, a point out of them and something that they can learn. Well, a couple of weeks ago, um, the story was the Old Testament story of Balaam and his talking donkey. How many of you are familiar with this story? Yeah, so in the Old Testament, there's a story as a donkey that talks. And so as the teacher's speaking to them about this, and I think maybe even before it gets to question time, kids start raising their hand. That didn't really happen. Donkeys can't talk. And already they're starting at their young age, hearing things. They're already starting to compare what is written in scriptures to their life experiences and how those things line up. And when something that seems to a kid so obvious, a donkey can't talk, and yet the person who's supposed to know more than them and teach them is telling them, hey, there's this donkey, this all of a sudden there's this. Now, they don't, they don't go into crises of faith over this. As soon as the candy bucket comes out and they're told they can leave, everything's good and they're running around wild and they don't even remember that. 
But it gets a little more serious when as an adult, you come across things and you're like, wait, 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 this just doesn't line up with my experience. It says that it works this way, but it's just not working this way. And so inevitably there are doubts that, that begin to creep in if you're trying at all to be a Christian. And so today I wanna look at a passage in which Jesus directly addresses the uh, doubts of his disciples. Now, now, when people talk to me about their doubts and their questioning and, and some of these things, inevitably there, there's two categories of people who ask me questions about doubting. The first category um, are, are people that are asking because they're having some questions, they're having some doubt, they're wondering about some things and they're looking for some answers to get them by, to kind of make it all seem okay. And so they talk to me because after all, if I'm not doubting and I've got some answers I can give them, then it'll make them feel better and, and all of that. And, and if Andy doesn't doubt, then he must know something that I don't know. He must have, it, have something figured out. And we've all done this. I mean, any of us who grew up in church at all, when we grew up, we grew up completely under the faith of our parents. Whatever they told us, okay, and that's what we believe. But then you go through this period of life to where you've got a transition. And your transition options are either you transition away from everything or you transition into your own faith because you can't make it through life successfully as a Christian depending on other people's faith. And in fact, what happens when we try to do that is inevitably the other people mess up. And, and you, you, can, you don't have to look very hard to find story after story after story of pastors who have fallen. And anybody who is living with their faith, that pastor's faith, or their parents' faith, maybe they grew up and it's like, oh yeah, my dad, my dad, my dad. And all of a sudden dad cheats on mom. What's that mean about faith? It crumbles. And the second group of people that, that asks me about this is the group of people who are having these doubts and they're hoping that when they talk to me that I'm like, yeah, man, I've got doubts too. Yeah, there's times I question. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm a professional Christian, but there's times I wonder. And they're hoping for that answer because then their response can be, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm normal. Because if, if pastor can doubt, then I can doubt as well. Because we're under this impression, and I'm not sure where it came from, but we're kind of under this impression that once you get saved or once you completely put your faith in God, that everything then makes sense and all the doubts go away and life works the way that it's supposed to work. But here's the real issue when it comes to this. The, the, issue isn't, the issue isn't, are you gonna have doubts? Because if you're intellectually honest with yourself at all, you will have doubts about this stuff. The real issue is how are you going to handle those things when you come across them? How are you gonna manage that tension that you feel of, well, this is what I've believed and this is what I've always known to be true. Now I'm wondering, and there's this, this tension, this pull within inside of you. In fact, let me, quick, quick survey. Who, who in the room in their Christian journey has ever had any doubts? Good, yes. I think, I, I think Ed needs to speak next week because he's the only one in the room that has never doubted. <laughs> you didn't think I could see you. <laughs> I can see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all have. We've all been there. 
And so the issue isn't, will you doubt? The issue is, what do you do when you doubt? Because that answer to that question makes all the difference in the world. Because doubt has the ability to completely to just destroy your faith, to cause you to just walk away from it all and be like, nope, there's too many holes, too many questions I can't answer. I've seen too many Christians act in unchristian ways. Like I can't, I'm just done with all of it. Or, 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 or it can cause you to go the other way. It can cause you to begin to search deeper and go after God more to try and figure it out. And it can, it can give a whole new level, a whole new layer, whole new depth to your faith. And, and here's, here's, when, here's when the doubts usually creep in. And you can, you can see if your experience bears this out. The doubts usually creep in is when, well, the first thing is when following Jesus either costs too much, it costs you something, you have to give up something, you're gonna have to miss out on something. You're gonna have to give somebody up maybe. When it costs too much or becomes inconvenient, that it's keeping you from living the way you wanna live and do the things that you wanna do. Or when God does something that doesn't make any sense to the way that you understand God and the way that he acts. That you thought, well, I thought God had my best intentions. I thought he was gonna protect me. I thought he would deliver me. I thought he would provide. And here I feel unprotected, undelivered, and very needy. And God doesn't seem to be around. And it can cause you to begin to question the whole thing. And those are the two things that give most people pause. But, but what do you do with those doubts? What do you do in those moments? Do you walk away because you have these questions or is there another option? Is there another way that you can go with it? And here's something that I've noticed within all of this is that when people do have these doubts, and then they do come to the decision of, okay, I, this is just too much for me. I'm done. And they walk away. Inevitably, they tend to start making some really poor life decisions. Very rarely does somebody walk away from their faith and the choices that they make in life become more sound. They don't, and they end up not doing things to maybe hurt God or try and hurt the church or the people that, that maybe hurt them within all of that, but they end up doing things that hurt themselves. And many, many, many times, years later, they come back. And when they come back, they still have all of the exact same unanswered questions. Nothing has been figured out. But in addition to that, they're now carrying a whole bunch of scars that they've picked up in their time away from their faith. And so doubt can be devastating. But when we learn to, to manage the tension of doubt correctly, when we begin to, to, to not, just, not just leave, but to engage the doubt, it can lead to building your faith. It can lead to new insights that you would never have had if you didn't engage your doubt, it can lead to more intimacy between you and God. And God, here's the thing. God's not insecure. If we have questions and we begin asking these questions out loud, he can handle it. Like he's not insecure. It doesn't offend him. When, when, we, when we start asking questions, it's not like we ask a question and God's up there and he's like, oh no, I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. I tried to bury that in a really boring passage, but you found it. Oh man, he does it. He's not out there like, oh no, you've put two and two together. 
and you figured out that the answer isn't what you thought it was. Oh no, what are we gonna do? Because here's the thing, God wants us to know truth. God wants us to know him. And the way that you do that is to wrestle with questions, to engage the doubts, to take those things to God directly and work on those things, not to to turn your back and to run away. And eventually, eventually, if we do that, if we kind of just are like, okay, I'm done with it. I have these doubts. I can't pretend things are okay when things aren't okay. I can't pretend to have things figured out when I don't have them figured out. I can't pretend to not have doubts when there's no doubts. I'm just done. If you do that, eventually those things will work their way to the surface eventually. And if you spend years of your life trying to push down those questions, push down those doubts, pretend like they're not there anymore, not only will they surface, but they will surface at times of weakness for you. At times when you really don't wanna be dealing with that issue, all of a sudden there's that issue. So what do we do with these doubts? Now, luckily the scriptures address this. And the scriptures address this in several different passages. Um, But I I chose this passage and it was a difficult decision for me because we looked at this passage about a year and a half ago. And so that's kind of fresh to kind of come back to it again. But, But this one like plays such, plays into some of the things that, that will get us, that will cause us to begin to have some of these questions, have some of these doubts and begin to wonder about some of these things. So this is a conversation that happens between Jesus and his disciples. And it gives us a clue as to how to approach our doubts. Now, here's what leads up to this passage. There had just been the the event where Jesus fed the 5,000 out of the couple loaves and fishes. And, And then Jesus sends his disciples across the, the Sea of Galilee and says, I'm going to meet you on the other side. And they go, through, they go through that whole thing. Their people, the people were um, ready to declare Jesus Messiah. There were some people, there were some groups of people that were ready to declare him king, were convinced he was the one that was going to lead them out from under Rome. And so, so the, whole, the whole momentum of Jesus's ministry is... It's up. It's where you want it to be. It's where you're working for. Like people are joining the movement. Like they are all about it. And so Jesus at the height of his popularity, which means his disciples by association are also at the height of their popularity, right? And so at any moment they were waiting for Jesus to publicly declare, I am the Messiah. So Jesus goes into the synagogue, all right? And he begins to teach, which was not an odd thing for him to do. He would go into the synagogue and teach on a regular occasion. And there were four groups of people that were kind of witnessing this event. The four groups were the apostles. And those were like the 12. A lot of times we call them disciples, but they were the apostles. And there's that distinction because there were also the disciples, which were a larger group of people that could have exceeded a hundred people that would kind of follow around, you know, kind of like, I like people followed the Grateful Dead around to their concerts. <laughs> like the disciples were the group. They would follow Jesus around. They, like, they were in, they were like, we're in, we're sold. Let's do this. Let's just do this. Then there was kind of like wherever he went, there was the crowd that was at that place already that heard, oh, Jesus is in town. Let's go see what's going on. And so, you know, he was an interesting fellow. So he would draw a crowd. And then there was the religious leaders. 
And no matter what Jesus was doing, the religious leaders were always paying attention because he bugged them so bad. And there's a whole list of reasons we get into is why, but they were always looking for a way that they could trap Jesus, they could trip Jesus up, that they could somehow turn the people who were now following Jesus against him and be done with him. And so in front of all of these people, Jesus unleashes one of the strangest sermons, not just for Jesus, but probably one of the strangest sermons ever given. And it's just weird. And he says some things that are so weird that the crowd and the people that are listening to it are just like, what? Is he really saying, did I hear right? Did he, did he just say that? And his followers had no idea what he was doing. They were caught just as off guard as everybody else was. And he opened up this thing kind of saying like, I am the bread of life. And I am the bread of life from heaven. And all of the religious leaders were looking at him and they're like, no, he isn't. He's not from heaven. We know his parents. We know where he came from. He isn't the bread of life. That's blasphemous. And so already on his first introduction to his sermon, he already had the religious leaders riled up. And then he just says some really bizarre things. Here it is in John chapter six. We're gonna pick it up in verse 53. It says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man, which is how he referred to himself, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And everybody that was taking notes, probably heard that and was like, what? Did he say eat his flesh and drink his blood? Now, not only is that weird, but that's really offensive because the Jews did not come into contact with any blood whatsoever. And now all of a sudden, here's Jesus saying, come on, have a bite. <laughs> Eat up. And then, we, you know, how's it work? We'll drain it into a cup. Y'all can share, pass it around. I mean, just, I can't, I cannot imagine the size of the eyes and the murmurs that began in the crowd. And, and, and <laughs> he keeps going. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, has eternal life. And many of them thought, well, then no eternal life for me, thank you very much. <laughs> no, because I don't care who you are, I'm not eating you. Like there's just, there's some things that I just won't do that cross the line and eating you. Now imagine taking this idea to your friends who do not share your faith. Hey, listen, I go to this really great church you should come to church with me sometime. Oh, and by the way, if you do want eternal life, you've got to eat some flesh and drink some blood. I mean, come on. You can't even hardly get people to come with you anyway without a flesh and blood eating session, right? I mean, it would not go. In fact, not only would they not come, that would be the end of your friendship. They would be like, I thought they were normal. They're not normal. We're not hanging around them anymore. Like done, unfriend on Facebook, whole nine yards. If you're lucky, they won't tell everybody else what you said. 
And, and some people, you know, will look at this and be like, well, yeah, 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 Andy. Yeah, but, but he, was, he was speaking symbolically. Well, yeah, it was symbolic, but they really didn't know that right away. And even if it was symbolic, it was offensive and it was weird. And Jesus had never said these types of things before. And, and, and in case they weren't just weirded out so much already, he went ahead and drove it home. Verse 55, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Jesus, no, it isn't. Like, that's just strange. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Well, of course you'll be in me. I just ate you. Like, Jesus, what is happening? (laughs) And the disciples, they're all sitting around watching the large group of people. And they start thinking, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. I mean, Jesus was doing really well. He seemed to have found his groove here and was making, but maybe this isn't what we thought it was. And the apostles, the the 12 who are really connected to him, they're thinking like, oh, we're losing him. We're losing him. We're losing him. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We had momentum. Now he's saying this. here's, Here's how it went. On hearing it, many of his disciples, not the 12, the hundreds, said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And they were done. And that was it. Who can accept this? We're out of here. And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? (laughs) Offend us, Jesus? Does this offend us? Yeah, it's just weird. Like you're strange now. Like you've crossed a line. And the Bible tells us that people started leaving, that they just started walking away and the crowd started dissipating. And I know exactly how Jesus felt. And here's how I know how he felt because I have a recurring nightmare and it happens about once every month to a month and a half. And inevitably it happens on a Saturday night. And the nightmare goes like this is that it's a Sunday morning and I'm at tapestry and you know how dreams are. It wasn't this tapestry, but it was tapestry. And I'm in this room that holds probably about 2000 people. And as the service is getting closer to start time, the place is just filling up. There is not an empty seat. And I'm just like, yes, this is what I've been working for all of this time. Look at all the people. Worship goes well. I get up to speak. And I realize I've prepared nothing. And so I'm like, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. I can just wing it. And I begin to talk and it's terrible. And I have no train of thought. I'm not leading them from one point to another. And even if every point was its own individual separate point, they weren't even making sense within themselves. And slowly people one by one began to get up and just leave until eventually there's one person left in the room and it's my wife. And she's sitting in this seat right here. She's just doing this. So I, I can imagine how Jesus felt in that moment as he's giving this teaching and people are murmuring, wondering when exactly he lost his mind and leaving. And all of a sudden the 12, they're watching this happen 
And their popularity is walking away with the people because they are linked to Jesus. They cannot separate themselves from him. And in a moment, they went from, man, we're the guys with the guy. The guy's getting ready to be the Messiah. We're gonna be awesome. And we're gonna have all these places and we're gonna argue about who's greatest with them, but we're all gonna be with them and we're gonna be elevated. And all of a sudden like that, they're watching it all walk away. What in the world is going on? And they know that in the future, they're gonna have to answer for this. People are gonna come up to them. Hey, aren't you with the flesh-eating guy? Come on now, now. Aren't you with the one who said we gotta drink blood? Now in my mind, I can see what the apostles are doing. They're all getting together. Guys, guys, what are we gonna do? Everybody's leaving. We gotta come up with a plan. Okay, okay, okay. Peter, Peter, you go get Jesus. You're the one that always does things. Okay, okay. He goes up. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Excuse me, everyone. Excuse me. We're just going to take a quick break. We need to have a word with Jesus. He'll be right back. Jesus, come over here. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You're losing them. Everything we've worked for for three years. You're losing them. Jesus. Okay, we don't, we're not going to talk about what you're actually saying right now because that's a whole weird thing. But Jesus, why don't you, why don't you skip to something else? Jesus, why don't you give your teaching on prayer? People love hearing about prayer. That's a good one. Jesus, Jesus, why don't don't you start picking on the Pharisees? People love when you pick on the Pharisees. Jesus, do do that. Jesus, Jesus, um, Jesus, tell one of your stories because nobody knows what those mean anyway. Why don't you just go do that? Jesus. No, I'm not going to do that, Jesus said. I'm not going to do that. And the doubt was creeping in. What have we done? What have we connected ourselves to? And then Jesus being Jesus, he surprises them as he always does. And this is awesome. Jesus looks over at them because they didn't really bring him into a huddle. That was all, I made all that up. Jesus looks out over at them, knowing what they're thinking. And he says this, you do not want to leave too, do you? And they're like, well, we were, we were thinking about it. I mean, that's unbelievable. Jesus knew their hearts. And I don't think any of them even made eye contact with Jesus in this moment. I think Jesus looked over and said, you're not thinking about leaving too, are you? And they're all just like, oh my God, you know, there's a, you know, Peter, go, huh. And there was probably a really long, uncomfortable pause because Jesus knew what they were thinking. And listen, this is where we live sometimes. And this is where we find ourselves. At some point, something is going to happen to cause it to be really difficult for you to continue to follow Jesus. And in those moments, we begin to think, is this too much? Whatever it is, is it too much? And we think about walking away. And we do it when following him is going to create attention. When you find yourself where you're in an environment where Christianity is irrelevant and maybe even looked down upon and it's gonna cost you something and there's that tension, do I stick with it? Perhaps, perhaps you're in some kind of job 
where to live by Christian ethics means to not be able to operate according to the business ethics because those two things are in complete contrast with each other. And there's that tension. What do I do? How do I balance this? Am I really sure it's all right anyway? Or do I wonder? Maybe you're hanging in a tough marriage and all of the people around you have given up on theirs and they just seem so much happier. And there's that tension. Do I hang with it? Do I do the tough thing and continue to follow what Jesus would teach? And we think if I just detach from Christianity because I got so many questions and things don't line up and how do I reconcile this? And doesn't the Bible contradict itself a lot? And we think if we just detach from Christianity that that's gonna make everything easier and we're not gonna have to deal with that tension anymore and things will be smoother and it'll just take a load off. And so at some point, this question becomes relevant to every single one of us. You're not thinking about leaving too, are you? Next thing that, next thing that happens is, is pretty incredible because remember, the question is not, the question is not, do we get rid of the tension? Because as we said the first couple of weeks, the thing with a whole lot of tensions in our life is that they're not meant to get rid of because if you manage them properly, they will move you in the right direction. And so the thing that happens next is great because the, the 12 are sitting around, they're watching all of this happen. And all of a sudden, Peter, of course it's Peter. It's always Peter. He gets an insight. And it kind of puts the doubt into a proper perspective. Here's what he says in verse 68. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? So Jesus looks over and says, yeah, this is weird. I'm being really strange right now. It's hard. People are abandoning us. Are you thinking about going too? Peter's like, whoa, where would we go? See, he recognizes something that so many of us have yet to get to. And Peter recognized that to walk away from Jesus, whether intentionally to do it or to just kind of fade away unintentionally, to walk away from Jesus is to intentionally or unintentionally walk to somebody or something else. See, because there's this weird thing at play in life is that when you leave something, you don't leave something for nothing. You always leave something for something else. And the thing that so many people lose sight of is we get so focused on the thing that we wanna leave that we pay no attention to the thing that we're going to. And when Peter recognized this, I mean, it caused, it caused his doubt to not disappear. The things that Jesus had just said were still strange and were still offensive. People were still leaving in large numbers. But he recognized to unembrace Jesus is to embrace something else. And the reason that so many people get into trouble when they leave is because I very rarely, in fact, I can only think of one example of everybody I've ever known in my life of somebody who has left Christianity intentionally to take up another belief system. And so when you do that, it's obvious, I'm leaving this for this. But when you leave it for, uh, I don't know that I believe anything. You think, well, I'm not leaving it for something, I'm leaving it for nothing. No, because you inevitably latch onto and start doing other things. And most of the time, 
those things are destructive. And Peter's like, nope, nope, nope. I've looked around. I've looked around. And I've looked at all the other options and all of the other things that I could go to and the people I could connect myself to and the things that I could get involved in. And Jesus, as I've looked at those things, my answer is, where would I go? No, I'm not leaving you. Yes, I have questions. Yes, you're freaking me out right now. Yes, I realize I'm gonna have to deal with some being really unpopular after what you've done here today. But Jesus, what else am I gonna go to? And when you realize, when you consider the other options, it will bring clarity to the questions. He keeps going, he says this. He says, you have the words of eternal life. Yeah, this is hard and I have questions, but you are the only one who's offering this eternal life thing. I mean, other people are promising things. There's people promising pleasure, but I know where if you just pursue pleasure in life, I know where that ends up. There are people who are pursuing profit. Profit's short-lived. There, there are people who are promising that, that if I work really hard and I'm really good enough, then maybe, you know, God will accept me. But nobody else has said, this is how you have eternal life. Nothing else even comes close. He says, we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And here, here's what Peter was saying. Peter was saying, Jesus, we've seen too much. We've seen too much. We know that if we go, we will just end up coming back because you are offering what it is that we need. The rest is empty. And yes, this is hard. And yes, we have questions. And no, we cannot defend this to the people that are gonna come up and ask us questions about it. But there are no better options. And if you focus on this idea when you have these doubts and you think, wow, can I stick with this? Look around as to what the other options are if you choose to leave it. Because here's what I've learned. If you have these questions and you walk away from Jesus with all of your questions, guess what? None of those questions get answered. You're just now not walking with Jesus. And 10 years from now, you'll still have all of the same questions. It doesn't get cleared up when you walk away. You just come back later with the same questions and some scars and some bruises from things that you latched onto. And here's the other thing, that within this moment, these guys had absolutely no idea what was at stake. These guys had no idea what their future held based on the answer to their question, are you thinking about leaving too? I mean, if Jesus would have been able to look at these guys and say, guys, I want you to think about what the future holds before you make this decision. Let me give you some insight. Peter, Peter, they're gonna be people, people are gonna name buildings after you. In fact, you're gonna be known as Saint Peter. Peter, you're gonna write a couple books that are gonna be read forever. Everybody, Peter, everybody thinks you are gonna be greeting them at the gates of heaven. This is how elevated you are gonna be, Peter. If Jesus were to say that to him, Peter's answer would have been, all that, real? Hmm. Well, yeah, I'm in. I'm not thinking about going anywhere. Yeah, count me in. And then he would have turned to John. John, John, you're going to write five books, five books. And people will be mesmerized by your last book for eternity. <laughs> Forever. They're, 
Oh, John, come on. John, people are going to name their kids after you. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a lot of white kids, but that's okay. John, they're going to name kids after you. That's what's going to happen. You're going to be remembered as a saint. You're going to have hospitals named after you. Really? All that? That's going to happen? No, I'm not thinking about leaving. I'm in, Jesus. Then he turns. Judas, you're going to be famous too. (laughs) These guys that were standing around that Jesus is asking this question, you're not thinking about leaving you too, are you? These guys were going to be responsible for delivering the most important message the world has ever heard. They were going to be the ones responsible for getting the story of Jesus out of Jerusalem and beyond the first century, all because of what these guys were getting ready to do. But they had no idea of any of that. They had no idea what hung in the balance. All they knew right then was that there were some hard things. They couldn't defend them. There were questions they wouldn't answer. Jesus was acting weird and they were having doubts about the whole thing. That's where they were. They had no idea. And so when you face those moments of questioning and those moments of doubt, I would ask you, do you have any idea what hangs in the balance on your decision to walk away? And the answer is you have no idea. You have no idea what God is gonna be doing with you. But some of us have been Christians long enough and we've been through this pattern long enough that we know that if we would have bailed out the first time we had doubts or maybe the second or the third or the fourth or when the doubts got so much that we began to really question ourselves like, wow, this is, I think I really might. We know that if we would have walked out at that moment, that we would have missed out on things that God did for us. So when it comes to this whole tension and doubt, there's a way to relieve it. There's two ways, actually. One is you can just avoid thinking about any of it. You're like, well, I'm not going anywhere, but that just hurts my head. That'll lead to a shallow faith that does nothing for you when you need it. And the second thing you can do is walk away. And that'll relieve the tension for a minute. But there's going to come a time when you really need the answer to those questions. And you really need to know that God is with you. So if you manage that tension, don't try and relieve it. Because I honestly believe this. I honestly believe that God will bring things across your path to cause you to have those moments of doubt because he wants you to engage and be drawn deeper. He wants your understanding of how he works to expand beyond what it is. And it is his way of saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. Draw closer to me, but you have to be willing to manage the tension, not try and relieve it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, every single one of us have those times. For some of us, those are short moments of time. For other of us, Father, it seems like this may be a period of life where we're having these questions and these doubts and wondering about the validity of the whole thing, and it seems like it is never going to end. 
God, I pray that you give us wisdom. Lord, give us the ability to look around. Well, if I did decide I'm done with this, what am I stepping into? What will I be embracing? And what will those things bring into my life? And Lord, then give us the courage and the strength to not run or avoid the questions and the doubt, but Father, to lean into them and to engage you on them, not to shy away from them. Lord, I thank you that in example after example after example in the scriptures, you give us people who had doubts, but they didn't give up and you used them. Father, let that be us. Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us, for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, that's, that's, that's this week. Next week, it's going to get real tense. So prepare yourself. Don't avoid it, but prepare yourself. I'll see you next week. Beautiful.